Good morning, Kingsland. Good to see you. Just returned Friday evening from a wonderful trip to the Holy Land, but there's nothing like being back home at Kingsland with you. As we get started today, let me offer first a heartfelt thank you to our military veterans that are with us on this Veterans Day weekend. Thank you. Thank you. And in fact, just so we can have the opportunity to say, uh, to express our gratitude, would all the military veterans in the room, would the veterans stand all around the room here? Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. We offer our heartfelt gratitude from a grateful nation, uh, recognizing that that's the reason we get to worship here in freedom today. Thank you for your service and your sacrifice. Well, uh, a few years ago during my PhD studies, I had the privilege of sitting under a Naval Academy professor of leadership by the name of Art Athens. He's a retired uh, colonel of the Marine Corps, and uh, he teaches cadets on the topic of leadership. And he told us during his time with us that he often conducts an experiment with his class of cadets in which they engage in a messy activity involving soap, stud, soap suds, buckets, and food coloring. And lasts about 30 minutes, as you can imagine, there's a big mess. At the end of 30 minutes, a janitor comes in, helps them clean up as they go on to the next lesson and activity. And at the end of the hour, he said, what he does is has them get out a piece of paper and, and issues a pop quiz to their surprise with only one question. Can you guess what it is? What was the name of the janitor? That's what he wants to know. And here's his point. He said, the essence of strong leadership is humility to appreciate those who others might see as insignificant. In fact, he offered us a series of questions that he titled uh, the humility quotient. He said, I want you to answer these questions honestly. And so I thought a good way to start today would be giving you the same assessment he gave us. There's no need to write anything down. But in your mind's eye, just keep a tally of those answers that you say yes to. And I, he, I don't remember whether he gave us a grade that day a few years ago. But I would imagine if there's more than five, it might be a red flag in our own hearts. But I wonder might, it might, whether it might disturb you like it disturbed me. Here's what he said. <laughs> Number one. Am I resistant to receiving help from others? Then he asked, do I have unresolved conflict with others? Am I reluctant to tell others I am wrong? Am I offended when others correct me? Am I unwilling to yield to others even with the most minor of issues? Am I upset when I'm not recognized for my achievements? Am I jealous when my peers are successful? Do others consider me standoffish? Am I overly concerned about what others think of me? Is my circle of friends made up of people just like me? Do I seek material possessions just to impress others? Do I tend not to pay attention to the handicapped, the elderly, or small children? And finally, he asked, do I have trouble remembering others' names? I hated that question. For the sake of our message, I want to add two more. Are there any people I feel should be unwelcomed at church if they do come to worship the Lord? And finally, am I irritated when worship styles vary from my own preferences? Well, I think if we're honest, 
in our own hearts, we all have a tendency, at least in seasons of our lives, to trend towards some of those answers in the wrong direction. And I want to talk not only about pride today, but a specific form of pride that's especially debilitating in the church and among believers in Christ. And I'll go again, give it a name uh, that we'll find. It's, I, I call it the older brother syndrome. That, that reminds me of sometimes when you watch television and you see the pharmaceutical ads come up and they ask something, do you have older brother syndrome? And it'll start to give the symptoms and at the end it always has the disclaimer, uh, if you take our medicine it'll help you but you need to know it might cause vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, um, death, uh, isolation, bad breath, you know, all these things like why would I take your medicine then, right? Well, I want to talk today about older brother syndrome in Luke chapter 15. Would you find that in your copy of the Word of God? Luke chapter 15, if you've noticed, we've been in this same chapter for four weeks looking at the parables of Jesus because it's such a significant, um, I think, element here. We're going to look at the exact same text and parable that we looked at last week, what's famously known as the parable of the prodigal son. But I want to tell you why we're going to look at it again. I think the answer is found in the first two verses of Luke 15. Here's what it says. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the entire reason that Jesus is giving these three parables is because the Pharisees are put out with him because they feel like he's being soft on sin. They're frustrated with who he's hanging out with. He, they, they believe he shouldn't have anything to do with these sorts of people. Do you understand why the older brother in the parable is so important? So there are three parables, and many believe they're completely related. We've looked at the parable of the lost uh, sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Really, we think of it as the prodigal son, but it's the parable of the lost son. But I would contend even more. Jesus is telling the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, plural. Because what he's really talking about here is an older brother with whom those Pharisees could relate. And I fear many of us can relate as well. This applies to people in the church who are not always happy about some other people coming to church. It applies to people outside the church who feel that they're too good to need the church. Uh, and so pride it gets, gets involved here and, and keeps somebody far from God. Let me ask you a question. Are notorious sinners welcome at Kingsland? Oh, you better believe they are. In fact, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. That means if you're a sinner, you are a notorious sinner. So I have news for you. If you come to worship today, you are sitting among notorious sinners. And so are they if they're sitting next to you. Scandalous. That's what it says here, right? <laughs> so let's look at this notorious or this, this parable here from a little bit different angle. This man had two sons with two extremes. He had the wild child and the mild child. Can anybody relate to that? Well, this mild child wasn't completely innocent. So let me give you just a paraphrase of the parable of the prodigal son that we talked about last week. Remember, this younger brother went to his daddy and he wanted to leave and rebel. And so he said, Father, I want my inheritance now. Now at that time, we can imply that he received a third and the older brother would be left with two thirds. And so he's asking for his third now. And basically he's saying, Daddy, I wish you were dead. So the father gives the, the son 
this wealth and uh, this inheritance, and he goes off and he spoils it on wine and women, loses everything, but in so doing, he comes to himself, remember? And he repents, and he goes back, and, and he's ready to grovel at the Father's feet and tell him, listen, if I could just be a servant, then I'll do my best to, to uh, serve you the rest of my life and maybe repay some of what I owe. I, I'm not qualified to be your son, and the Father will have nothing of it. He embraces him. He welcomes him completely back. Not only does he restore him, but he celebrates the new life of his younger son. Everybody's having a party except for one guy. <laughs> And who's that? That's who we're talking about today. And so we're going to pick up the account in verse 22, and we'll read all the way down to the end of the chapter. Would you look with me? But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then Jesus, rather, then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. By the way, that's one of my favorite uh, verses. Your father slaughtered the fatted calf. God bless you. They're having a barbecue. Did you notice that? <laughs> All the vegetarians in the room just underlined, fatted calf. <laughs> fatted calf. Sorry about that. Okay, verse 28. I didn't say that in the other services. That's just for those getting ready for lunch. <laughs> then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He has a lesson for that older brother. And I believe in this parable there's a lesson for all of us who might deal with older brother syndrome. May I share with you for a few minutes three symptoms of the older brother syndrome. It might help us diagnose it in our own lives. I'll go ahead and tell you the the remedy for it. It's the gospel. But we need to understand when it creeps into our hearts. All right? The first symptom is actually found here in verse 28. Look back at verse 28 with me. It says, then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So this father came out and pleaded with him. Here's the first symptom. You might have older brother syndrome if your first reaction to people is anger. Let me ask you a question. Can anger be a healthy response? Of course it can. God gave us that emotion because there is a time for righteous indignation when we stand against sin and we do that. But if our first reaction to other people and their behavior is anger, then that might be a red flag 
in our own hearts and lives. Proverbs 12, 16 says this in the New Living Translation, a fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Are you quick to anger? What about your rants on Facebook? Or how about road rage? Are you easily shocked? I believe anger reveals unmet expectations. Why would you expect people who are far from God, who've never experienced the love of God, to demonstrate uh, life as though they understood the gospel? Why do we do that? Why do we expect something beyond what we should from other people? Now, this can be so dangerous to the church. At my last church, we had a situation where um, one Sunday, a lady came at the invitation of a friend. This lady had been living a wild life outside the church. She was far from God. She'd kind of come to the end of herself, and she'd confided in a friend about that who was a believer. And the believer said, why don't you come to church on Sunday with me? So she came. She recognized she needed to probably get dressed up more than she usually did, although I want you to know that we want you to come as you are. She wanted to, and the only dress-up or nice clothes she had were what she wore to the club on the weekends. And so you can imagine it really didn't match up with probably what most people would consider church clothes. And so she came in and sat down. She didn't stay the whole time. She left early. And her friend reached out to her late in the week and said, where'd you go? And she said, you need to know that about the second song, a gentleman came up to me and let me know that my outfit was distracting him from worshiping God. And it broke my heart when her friend told me. Now listen, I don't know exactly what she was wearing, but there were a thousand other ways he could have dealt with that besides the way he did. I guess at worst he could have found a dear lady who could have gone up and helped to encourage her in some way, give her a shawl. Are you cold? He could have gone to the front row so he wouldn't have been distracted. Maybe try not staring at her, dude. Right? Pray for her. But the reality is, in his heart, he was dealing with older brother syndrome. Do you see? You see how easily we can fall into this trap of thinking that everybody around us ought to behave up to our standard as if our standard is the standard of righteousness, the gospel, rather than looking at our own challenges and weeping with those who weep, looking beyond the faults to the needs. Richard Lovelace, in his 1979 book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, put it this way. He said, Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, in a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness and defensive criticism of others. They come naturally to hate other cultural styles in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. I think that's still true today. Sometimes our pride is masking an insecurity in our own lives about our own behavior. Listen, be careful not to isolate yourself from people who don't agree with you. The very nature of the great commission of the gospel calls us to go beyond our own comfort zones and to engage those who are far from God. That's what we're supposed to do. And they're probably not going to be up to whatever standards we have built for ourselves in our minds. The first symptom of the older brother syndrome is this. Your first reaction to people is anger. The second symptom is found in verses 29 through 30. Look back at it with me. But he replied to his father, look, 
I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, but you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, did you notice he won't even refer to him as his brother? When this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. It's really interesting. I appreciate the CSB here, the translation. It's the word squandered. It could be translated squandered. But when he said devoured your assets, it gives you the idea of the play on words that's taking place when Jesus tells the story. He devoured our inheritance and now he, you want to let him devour this cow? <laughs> it is, it's very ironic. He's put out and here's the second, the second symptom. You resent that God has not done more for you. You see, the older brother uses two nevers in his response, his angry response. You notice that? I never disobeyed. You never gave me a goat. I, I bet you he ate pretty well. He's like, Dad, you never gave me anything. I, I never, you never disobeyed, older brother, not one time. I mean, you just had this perfect record. No, he's gone into these extremes because the older brother is having a crisis. Why? His paradigm has changed. He had the mindset that the only way to please his father was to perform. Do you know how I know that? He says, dad, I resent this whole thing because I have slaved. Do you see that word? In reality, when you peel back the layers, this brother did not have a father-son relationship with his dad. He had a master-servant relationship with his dad. And he thought the way to earn favor with his father was to perform in a certain way. And that's blown up in his face because this guy hasn't performed in a certain way and God still loves him. One son had rejected the father for things. Another son had pretended to pursue the father for things. Do you see? But neither one of them had pursued the father's heart. When I was in college, one semester, I took a class called Music Appreciation. Anybody take a class like that? And I'm going to be totally honest with you. You know why I took that class? Easy A. That's right. <laughs> it's really ironic that it was called Music Appreciation because I love music, but that wasn't why I was doing it. I was not appreciating music. I was appreciating the grade I could get by appreciating music. And so you had to listen to like Mozart and Brahms and be able to tell why they're different and what have you. And so it wasn't that hard. So I, I appreciated these things so that I could have the outcome that I wanted, which was a decent grade on my transcript. Kind of up the GPA. Had nothing to do with appreciating the music. Some of us come to worship with that same attitude. We're really not here because we're hoping uh, to appreciate the Lord or worship the Lord. We're here because we're performing in a certain way in order to elicit a certain outcome from God. Now listen, I'm going to step on some toes for just a second because I would gather that some of you here, and you may be the only one who knows who you are, you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, and in your heart of hearts, the reason why is because in your honest moments, you'd say, God has not given me what I deserve. God didn't do this for me. This didn't happen the way I wanted and I'm resentful, and I'm angry, and I'm not coming to God because I kept my end of the bargain, and God didn't keep his end of the bargain. Can I tell you a reality that we need to understand? God kept the whole bargain. We didn't keep any part of it. 
We have only come because of what the Father has done by sending his Son, because Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross. That's the only way that we can come by faith. And don't let irrational resentment keep you from the kingdom. But listen, this isn't just a lesson for non-Christians. I've met many Christians who honestly believe that they were saved by grace, but now the way that they grow in the Christian life is by their own efforts. Now we earn favor from God by working really hard. No, no. We receive that grace and then we walk with him. We grow, we're fulfilled because it is a life of worship. Do you see the difference? When you come to worship, are you doing so for benefit or are you coming out of real passion? The older brother syndrome. Your first reaction to people is anger. Here's the second symptom. You resent that God hasn't done more for you. And let's look at one more symptom. It's found in verses 31 and 32. Son, he said to him, the dad's talking now. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here's the third symptom. You might have older brother syndrome if you underestimate the power of grace. Any time we begin to grade individuals based on our own standards of righteousness, we're actually exposing our complete misunderstanding of our own need for grace. Do you see? When this father said to his uh, son, his older son, this brother of yours was dead, he wasn't using a figure of speech. He was literally, legally dead to him. He was dead to the family. He's saying he was outside the family because of what he had done. And do you understand that I brought him back into the fold by my grace? And what he's trying to let this son understand is it's not just the older brother that he's offered that grace to. He's done the same thing to both brothers. Do you see? He said, all that is mine is yours. Whose is it to start with? It's the father's. He's the one that lovingly bestows the inheritance on them. And he's saying the same thing is true for you, son. I love you, but my generosity towards you is because of my love for you. And if you understood that, not only would you be grateful, but you would rejoice in your younger brother coming home. You wouldn't just accommodate him. Here's the reality. In both cases, the older son and the younger son, we can see examples of those who are Christians, some who have trusted Christ and are sure for heaven and have fallen away and are making horrible decisions and need to come back to Christ because they're miserable and under conviction. And we can have older brothers who are Christians and, and we can have those who, who have trusted Christ and now kind of well up with pride and find themselves looking with judging and condemning eyes the people around them. But you know what? We can have older sons and younger sons who are both lost. Do you notice something about the text here? The younger brother got to enjoy the party. And the behavior-focused older brother missed the party completely. The reality is, it's probably harder to reach older brothers than younger brothers. Because older brothers think they've earned it themselves. And they resent being told that they haven't. 
they don't think they need grace. I heard a story about a lady who moved to a a developing world country in a remote area and she was living in a hut. And one of her goals was to make it feel more like back home. She wanted to keep it as clean as possible. And so she spent hours every day cleaning the place, mopping the floors, sweeping the floors, doing all these things. No matter what she did, it didn't help. Do you know why? Because the hut had dirt floors. No matter what she did, she was just exposing the dirt underneath the dirt underneath the dirt. You know, the same thing is true with salvation. When we try to work really hard to develop righteousness, when we are far from God, there's no possible way to do that. Do you know why? You can scrub and rub and wash and rinse and mop, but there's nothing to improve on until you've been born again and you bear the righteousness of God. That's the first step, to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But likewise, some Christians think being saved by grace leads to working hard by effort instead of saying, no, I'm going to live by grace as well. You know, if we're going to really appreciate this parable, we need to appreciate the challenge of both extremes here and the danger of them. This is actually a story of two lost sons and one gracious father. Because the reality is you can be lost with the pigs or you can be lost in the pew. The younger son rejected the grace of the father to pursue his own desires. The older son rejected the grace of the father to pursue his own justification. The younger son was deceived into thinking he was insufficient for salvation. The older son was deceived into thinking he was self-sufficient for salvation. But do you notice that the father pursued both of them? Now one last twist to this parable and we'll be done. Jesus had to end the parable this way because he was addressing the Pharisees and he needed to make them the older brother in the story. Do you see? But in reality, when you lay the gospel over the top of this parable, you see a contrast between that older brother and our older brother. When I say older brother, what I'm talking about is I mean we have a heavenly father and he has his only begotten son. Because here's what really happened. If you rewind to verse 22 and we started today and you see that the father ran out there and he forgave him and when the son repented that he, he placed the robe on his shoulders and he placed sandals on his feet and he placed the ring on his finger, remember that? In reality, when you understand how the inheritance works, if this younger brother's inheritance is gone, all these possessions that we're talking about came from whose inheritance? The older brother. The one who was qualified to receive it. And so our perfect older brother placed his garment of righteousness on our shoulders, do you see? He placed his signet ring of ownership and inheritance on our fingers. He placed the sandals of of adoption and family on our feet. He has done everything necessary. He's made the sacrifice because Jesus Christ is the only one who was qualified to pay the penalty for my sin and yours. Do you see? And so that means his righteousness and his forgiveness and his inheritance is available to anyone who would forsake their own ability to to earn salvation and to trust in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's available to all of us today. I wonder whether somebody came here today and you know in your heart of hearts that's never happened. Why not today? But I also would imagine there's some of you like me, who've been saved. But in your heart of hearts, you know, as I read this passage, I think of certain places in my heart where sometimes 
I get a little bit too big for my spiritual britches. And I think, man, I'm so glad I'm not like so-and-so. And God says, no, you're saved by grace. And you need to seek them and rejoice when they're found. You see. Let's bow together, church. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And then we'll have an opportunity to respond to this message. But right now, in the quietness of this moment, would you allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart? I wonder whether somebody came in this room today and you know you've never trusted Christ. Why not now? And we begin to sing. I want to invite you. Upstairs, downstairs, just make your way down the stairs or down the aisle. Find someone who'll be here at the front. Has some wonderful people who'd be honored to pray for you and with you. I hope you'll come. Likewise, maybe there's some who came and you're you're a Christian. But you know it's time to lay some hang-ups at the altar about how you see other people, how you treat other people, how you think about them. Perhaps you need to pray about something I haven't even mentioned today. You're dealing with an overwhelming challenge in your life. Would you allow someone the privilege of praying with you in just a moment? And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Holy Spirit, I'm grateful, Lord, that you can speak to hearts as I cannot, as your word does the work. Father, I pray for the one in this room who hasn't trusted you as Savior and Lord. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray for those who've called on the name of the Lord Jesus, who find that at times, Lord, we look at others the wrong way. God, I pray that we would never, Lord, we would never compromise the standard of righteousness that you've given us. And yet we'd see with eyes of grace. We'd walk full of grace and truth as our Lord did. Bring us to decision today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.